episode of the Mr Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. Now, this is an episode with a difference, and one which I hope will be the first in a series of similar episodes. I know many people are unable to make it to maths conferences and CPD events for a variety of reasons, and whilst it is incredible how Twitter can make you feel like you are there, and those who blog about their experiences share some incredible insights, I just wondered if there was room for something else. Hence the idea of a conference takeaway series of podcasts. So, after the maths conference run by Mark McCourt and the LaSalle team, which took place in Kettering on the 10th of March 2018, which was actually the 14th such maths conference, myself and Joe Morgan, possibly better known as Maths Gem on Twitter and the creator of the online Bible of math resources that is resourceaholic.com, sat down to chat about our takeaways from the workshops we saw. The conversation lasted just over half an hour, which was quite the revelation for me, as I assume podcasts are legally obliged to last for at least two hours. Anyway, here you will hear our thoughts on the following sessions. Engelman's Insights by Naveen Rizvi, Making It Stick by Danny Quinn and Hilal Buhida. The Story of Maths Part 2 by Chris Bolton. Multiple Representations by Bernie Westercott. And How I Wish I'd Taught Maths Two Months On by some annoying northerner plugging his book and his two new websites. In the show notes, you'll find the image from Naveen's fraction session that Joe describes, as well as the selection of sharing in a ratio questions from my session. I really hope you find this discussion useful, whether you attended the conference or not. And once more, thanks so much to Joe for taking the time to talk to me, to all the amazing workshop presenters who give up their time freely to share their ideas, and to Mark McCourt for creating something very special with MathsConf. Enjoy. Okay, so myself and Joe are sat here in beautiful Kettering at the end of another busy day at MathsConf, MathsConf 14. So my first question for you, Joe Morgan, is how many of these 14 Maths conferences have you been to? I think I've been to 11, so I think this is my 11th, so I am am now um, an expert conference goer. Um, I had a few people today come up to me saying it was their first one and they came because I recommended it on my blog, so I was very pleased about that and also very pleased that they had a good day because if I'm recommending it, I'm pleased that people are um, actually getting a lot out of it. Um, And I... I love it for the socialising, so Friday night, always great, yep. and, and you know, and I've been on Twitter long enough that I now um, consider people on Twitter to be my friends, so it's nice to see friends um, the night before a conference, um, but um, in terms of the actual conference itself, I always think, oh, they're, all, they're just going to have the same sessions I've always, you know, I know it all already, yes. but yet, yet again, I've um, learned a lot today, I've got a lot out of it, and I'm going back to school with fresh ideas, as after every single conference I've been to. That's great. And I think, I mean, I've probably done 
maybe eight or nine of them. I'm saying this is one of my favourites, this. I thought it was really good. Um, incredible lineup of, of speakers. Um, very hard to choose. So for listeners who don't know, you, there's four sessions and you have to pick your speakers. And it's a nightmare, isn't it, every time because you, you want to go to at least two or three in each one. And you've got to make that decision. So, well, let's dive into it, Joe. So what, myself and you chose the first, uh, cho- chose the same session to go to first. Um, and you're going to take the lead on this. So who was the session and what was it about? Right, so this was um, Naveen, who is a teacher um, lots of us know well from when she was at Michaela, um, and now is teaching in Great Yarmouth, and um, has an excellent blog, and has done loads of conference sessions before, so I sort of, um, I've never seen her speak before at a conference, but I um, have heard good things about um, what she what she talks about and her expertise, um, and I wasn't disappointed, she did a great session. Um, and she said a few a few things that I really. Um, can, you, can you remember the title of it? Was Eng- Engelman? It was about so it's Engelman's. Um, it's kind of Engelman's insights te- teaching weaker students or something. Um, Engelman insights structuring teacher for the teaching for the weakest nice. pupils. And actually, what she talked about mainly was teaching fractions, a hundred lessons on fractions, so a huge amount, um, to an intervention group. Yes. So she was talking about the very weakest students taking them out in year seven for extra lessons out of their normal maths lessons and using Engelman, um, who has these textbooks connecting maths concepts. Um, so using these textbooks to structure her teaching with these intervention groups. But um, it's pretty much a sort of scripted instruction. It's full on scripted, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and as soon as I hear scripted, I'm like, yep. oh no, not I'm scripted. I'm with you, I'm with you, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, I think, I, I can't imagine reading someone else's words when I teach. And, and it's interesting, she talked about how verbose she is. And I think when I'm in the classroom, I say way too much. Yes. And I know I yes. do. Um, and she talked about saying more in fewer words. Um, and something I just wanted to, on the scripted thing, you know, I need to be a bit more open-minded about this. <laughs> and I'm going to quote a, a very insightful tweet um, from Mr. Blatchford. So at Mr. Blatchford, Blatchford during that session, he said, um, uh, Naveen speaking on Engelman's direct instruction, the penny has dropped for me on scripted lessons. The issue isn't about giving the teacher a script. It's about the script the teacher gives the pupil. Words are powerful. Each sentence should have impact. So his point there being that it's not about telling the teacher exactly what to say, but it's about the words the teacher's using with the student and how we have to be so careful in our choice of words. And, and just on that, Joe, because yeah, I'm the same as you. I hear scripting, I think, flipping heck. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of that. But one thing Naveen said about that that struck me was that she uses a lot of redundant words mm-hmm. in her explanations. And whenever you're forced to stick to a script, you, you can't use those redundant words. That script has been proofread, tried out, tested, adapted. So it's a really good, efficient way of explaining things. And it, I'm sure, like, I've never taught a scripted lesson, but I can imagine the first few times it's got to feel very alien. Yes. I mean, have you ever taught a scripted um, lesson? No, although it's, scripted lessons, are, I have seen such things before. I'm pretty sure some of the standards units and um, things in the, yes. in the earlier part have got scripted That's suggestions. True. That's true. So, and I, I'm assuming that it's never taken off because teachers have tried it and not liked it. Not sure. But it was interesting what Naveen said, because someone asked her a question at the end, and she said that... Um, her, you know, she, she, the students took to it really easily, and and it's actually, you know, she found it harder to do than the students found to sort of have this delivered in a scripted way. Yes, um, it's something I should be more open-minded about, um, certainly. But bear in mind, she's talking about scripted lessons for small intervention groups, so not necessarily. 
um, scripting entire lessons. That was my question there, and I'm going to hopefully have Naveen on the podcast, but like, I was fascinated by, so you, you said there are 100 lessons on fractions, and Naveen was saying how they wouldn't be 100 full lessons on fractions, it would be 100 lessons that had a kind of fractions component in there. And I was fascinated by how well structured it was, mm. the, um, the choice of questions. Why just use that with an intervention group? Can you see any reason why it wouldn't work with a full class? Um, I, I think I think sort of I think Naveen is suggesting that this could work with a full class, but at a faster pace. And I guess the thing is, what what I was really interested in this in terms of teaching for because she's clearly talking about very low ability because she was going right back to the beginning. Yeah, give us some examples. Oh, I can remember it started like real basic, right? It was with... about sort of you know identifying whether a number is an integer. Yes. And um, so whole numbers versus not whole numbers. Yes. And because it was very much starting from scratch on the whole idea of a fraction, on the one hand, I'm thinking we get a lot of stick from uh, primary teachers saying, why do we repeat in year seven what they've taught at primary? So yeah. lately I've had a bit of... Um, uh, I've had a bit of grief on this about how our, the scheme of work at my school, it just repeats all that primary stuff. Why are we doing that? And I'm saying, well, because we assess them when they come in and we don't think they can do it. And so there's a, and, you know, maybe things are sort of changing in the way things are done at primary school and we're going to get uh, students coming through who, who already have this. Um, so they, we should have students coming through with a good, deep understanding of fractions. Um, but the fact is that there will always be some who, who need that intervention. I mean, a lot of the stuff Naveen was saying, I was thinking... They should be doing this at primary school, and and you know this. So this so this is something where it would. I don't know how many primary teachers were in her session, but I think they would have benefited from this session a lot, um, as much as secondary teachers would benefit who are dealing with those those sort of really weak students. Because it was things like um, it was it was fascinating the sort of looking at diagrams of fractions. So there were sort of two blocks that were split into five, and and two of those two pieces were shaded, so two out of ten pieces were shaded, and she was talking about how very specific words for understanding the how to say what fraction that is. And one of the things that was really interesting, she kept talking about that we shouldn't teach anything that will be contradicted later, or yes. in the future we shouldn't teach things that contradict prior learning. Yes. And what I'd like to hear more from her on is some examples of when we do that. So when we when do we teach something which contradicts something we taught earlier? Yeah, I, I, I was thinking I was thinking the same thing. I wonder. I mean, I talk about this in the book. I wonder if it's kind of processes that only work for a limited number of examples. So solving equations, mm -hmm. teaching it, um, flow diagrams, or something like that. Maybe yeah. it's maybe yes. something along yeah. those lines. Possibly. I'll, I'll tell you a big takeaway I had from from this Joe as well was that she spoke about how we always show kids how to do something we don't show them enough how not to do something so they can appreciate the difference. And she showed equivalent fractions. So I always show kids how to find equivalent fractions. So if you've got four sixths in your times, numerator denominator by two, you have an equivalent fraction. But what Engelman seems to do, and I don't know enough about it, but it's really showing kids, well, actually, if you have four over six and your times are top by three and the bottom by five, it's not an equivalent mm -hmm. fraction. Yeah. And it's, it's things that we as teachers take for granted because of curse of knowledge or whatever it is, mm -hmm that when you have scripted lessons, you kind of 
avert that curse of knowledge because these have been planned out so much and I just love that detail not taking anything for granted not making any assumptions this is how something works this is how it doesn't work so kids can really notice the difference between it so I I thought it was fascinating I think and actually the equivalent fraction thing was really interesting because I thought about how maybe I don't do this very well because I might write two thirds equals something over six yes yes and then I might kind of draw an arrow and write times two at the bottom and then I might draw an arrow and write oh so we need to times by two at the top whereas she was saying that we should write two thirds multiplied by two over two which is equivalent to one and that gives us our four six Um, and I don't do it that way and so it certainly made me think a lot about how I structure um, my the way that I that I set out work into fractions. She did a, she, and you tweeted a lovely exercise that she put up, which yeah. was particularly it was um, it was all to do with um, if we have a number times something and then we get the answer. So for example, um, seven times something equals one fifth. Is that something more than one, less than one, or equal to one? Yeah. And you know we know straight away it's going to have to be a number less than one because it's it's get we've, we're timesing seven by it has to be something smaller yes. than one to get a uh, to get a fifth. But it was a lovely exercise. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's, and the fact it's all planned and scripted. I, I thought yeah. I thought it was lovely. And um, any any more on that session? No, should... just that um, Naveen is a great um, speaker. She said <laughs> things that made me laugh. She said Engelman's a babe. She said super sexy maths. Um, so it, it was entertaining. Um, there were some things I thought, yeah, I, I already do all this, and it's, it's going at such a slow pace. And yes. I don't teach, I don't teach students that yes, need this. Yes. Um, but actually, there is, there's a lot to think about there. So there is, good. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fangelman, if you're listening, you're a babe. So, so, <laughs> so the second session, I'll take the lead on this one. We're both in this one as well. This was this was Danny Quinn, a former podcast guest, and, and Hinal. Um, and I hope I'm saying a surname right here. Um, Boudia, I'm going to go for. Um, so Danny and, and Hinal, it was fascinating. It's called Making It Stick. And um, I, I always like hearing Danny speak. I've never heard um, Hinal speak before. And it was for me, it was all about the kind of structure of it was, we've got to get knowledge in to kids and then they've got to be able to get it out so what's the best way to get knowledge in and then what's the best way to get that knowledge out and there are a couple of things I found particularly interesting so the first was she talks about facts and about being flexible with facts and I love this for a takeaway we should do things both ways around so with Pythagoras kids should be able to say it is right angled because Pythagoras's theorem holds but then also because Pythagoras's theorem holds it is right angled and another nice example was and this one really hits home for me because I don't do this we shouldn't just say to kids, list the square numbers. Mm-hmm. We should say, one, four, nine, sixteen, what are they? Mm-hmm. So they're more flexible. They don't just recognize what things, they can't just do things one way around. They can do them the other thing, all the way around. I like that. Then I loved, I like knowledge organizers. They're, they're the buzzword for me. Of, of late 2017, everyone's like addicted to knowledge organizers. And what, what Danny and Hinnell, Hinnell showed was good knowledge organisers and bad ones. And a key feature of a good knowledge organiser is they've got to be quizzable. Kids have got to be able to cover up the, the question, cover up the answers, self-quiz and quiz each other. There shouldn't be too many words. And also, I like this as well, that learning examples is, more, is easier and better than learning definitions. So it shouldn't be come up with a definition of what a prime number is. It should be, is two a prime number, why? Or, or, or give me an example of a non-prime number. So coming up with examples as opposed to definitions, I thought was good. I loved what Danny did there. She did the thing from the peanuts. You know when um, adults speak in peanuts, you know Snoopy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say, wah, 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 when it's an adult speaking. <laughs> yeah. And she, kept, she, good, said, yeah. she said that when children read like the definition of a prime number, they're just reading wah, wah, wah. Yes, and yes. Whereas if you say, um, why is 15 not prime? Why yes. is 7 prime? Yes. It means so much more to them than yeah. a very wordy definition. You're and again, it's, it comes back to cursive knowledge because 
we understand what we're saying. We know the answer, but kids, kids don't, and it's hard to put yourself in the position of a, of, of a child. So yeah, I, I thought that was great, Joe. Absolutely. And a couple of other ones. Um, I thought this was interesting as well, and then I'll shut up about this one. And processes. And um, Danny talked about the use of rhymes and kind of acronyms, acronyms and so on to, to remember things. And the classic one of, of dividing fractions, KFC. And Danny had a rhyme for it. I can't, I can't remember the rhyme now. But I remember thinking a, a word in there didn't rhyme, but it was good. Yes. Uh, but I think in you know, Danny's accent, it, it kind of rhymed. But the, um, the thing I liked about what, what Danny said was that you don't want kids saying the rhyme for dividing fractions whilst they're doing it, mm -hmm. whilst they're trying to divide fractions, because that can lead to cognitive overload. It's too much for them to think of the rhyme and try and carry out the process and so on. What you want to do instead is for them to try and carry out the process, then at the end of it, use the rhyme to check their method. Has it fit with, with what the rhyme said? And kind of splitting it out that way. I thought it was a really, really nice touch. I, I like that one. I like that as well. I mean, she talked at the end, they showed some examples of things to make things stick, and they talked about um, bid mass back, uh, backwards is sand div or whatever it is, and I use that for solving equations. Um, and then they, they, they had an example up there that I love for integrating at A level, which is um, sick. Sign integrates to cos yes. negative, cos integrates to sign positive because kisses are positive and sick yes. is negative. Um, and I do that a lot with my students, but again, I'll say to them, right, do, do the integration, and then you're checking you got the sign right yes. by saying yes. kiss and knowing yes. that's positive. Um, and, but it was, it was interesting what she said about the, the, the her little rhyme, the KFC thing, because you're right, I never really thought about the fact that it's it's a checking thing you know yep, they do yep. they do the they have a conceptual understanding which is so important of how to divide fractions they do the division and then they think did i keep and then did i yes. and did i change and yeah. you know she had a little rhyme for that which is and, um, and i like as well really completely related to that is the fact that these rhymes aren't bad things right just because mm -hmm. kids don't fully understand what they're doing at that stage when they learn the rhyme mm -hmm. that can come later Absolutely. and in the past i mean i bang on about this thousands of words in the book the fact that in the past i would always be trying to explain to kids why they do something Thing. Whereas now, let's get them having success, let's get them using it, and the why can come later. Absolutely. So I thought that was important. And the final thing I'll say on this before I shut up, and, and in case you've anything else to add, Joe, was the decision making. And I thought that was really interesting. And, and Danny made a really interesting point that, all right, uh, when you try, when you're faced with a problem, you've often got a decision to make, whether you round up or round down was one example that, that, that was given there. And that's really obvious to us, but not to the students. And what I like what Danny said was a really good checking mechanism is that whenever you're doing some planning, if you think to yourself, oh, they'll get this bit, they'll get this bit, but you can't articulate why they'll get it or where they may struggle, that should be a warning sign that actually that's going to be a really difficult step for students and you've got to either make that more explicit or more clear. So the fact that if you're saying to yourself, oh yeah, no, they'll get this, that's a big red light, an alarm should be going off in your head because that's actually probably going to be a critical part of the lesson that you really need to think carefully about. So I thought that was nice. That was good. Have you anything else to add on that one, Jen? No, just from the knowledge organisers. Yes. Um, it was nice to see examples of um, knowledge organisers which are, are not well designed because I think that helps people who want to make their own. I think I worry about these sort of projects where, I mean, the idea of a sort of self-quizzing isn't new, but calling them knowledge organisers and um, the sort of embedding this process of regular self-quizzing is something that is becoming quite a big thing yes so a teacher in my school has is doing it really successfully um he has got his um foundation year 11 group um doing amazing things with their factual yes. knowledge yes. for knowledge organizers now he's made a ton of them um and they're and they're good his ones and i should 
slow them on my blog because what I'm worried about is again it's a, a time thing in teaching that there are now teachers all over the country making knowledge yeah, classes yeah, exactly. um, and you know it's uh, the, the problem I suppose people are nervous to share theirs because they think it might not be yes. sort of perfect their definitions might not be yes, perfect yes, yes. but it, it just worries me that there are, there are so many people writing their own resources when we should be sharing them so uh, I think something you can that, set up a website there Joe I think you can sort that out I can picture it now. Resource and knowledge organizer. I, I might like. create a page. You know, given I've got a colleague with a, a really good set of knowledge organizers, I might do some sharing there. That'd be great. Okay, and then myself and Joe split up here at this point. We went to two different workshops. So you go first, Joe. Well, where did you go to for workshop? Um, I went. This was really difficult because um, I wanted to see a lot of sessions um, in this uh, slot. Um, I really wanted to see Gemma Sherwood. Yeah. Um, the only reason I didn't see Gemma Sherwood is that. Um, I felt that a lot of the, the sessions, she was in the, in the main room, and a lot of the sessions in the main room today had a similar sort of theme. They had this sort of research-based cognitive science, um, it is, and I think it's absolutely fantastic that that is what teachers want to see. I yeah. think there's a bit of a change in direction since mass conferences kind of three years ago, Yes. Um, and that is fantastic. So the only reason that I chose not to go and see Gemma... Um, was that I thought that I should um, get out the main room for one session because yeah, I was in there course. all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I went to see Chris, who is one of my favourite speakers, so ever, Chris, Chris Bolton. Bolton yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was talking on the history of maths and he did the first history of maths talk in Sheffield a, few year, a couple of years ago and I couldn't see it because I was speaking at the same time in another room right, and I was yeah. furious yeah, because yeah, yeah. I really because I, I would, I'd love to learn more about, more about the history of yeah. maths because I didn't do a pure maths degree right. so I have a big gap in my knowledge yeah, there me too, me too. and I also know that Chris Bolton is always a good speaker so I hate missing him speak yes, yes. so um, I was pleased to get the chance to go and see him again um, and um, obviously I can't, I'm not going to go through the, the, the sort of details of the stuff we talked about because it was really one of these things that's kind of partly for interest and subject knowledge development, yep. but also um, just lovely things that we could then tell our students. So Chris is a great storyteller, <laughs> and he basically spent his session um, telling us these lovely stories, and it's so engaging. Um, a couple of, one, couple, one thing I took away, which is actually just to do with how to deliver a conference session, was that he, um, when he had a lot of text on the slide like a quote, but wanted us to listen to him, yes. he blanked it out. Yes. And it was, and yeah. it's like, what an obvious thing to it's do. Big, hey? So, There's you know, so problems. I wasn't then reading the slide, I was actually really listening to him, and yeah. it was such a simple thing just to blank it out. It's funny you should say that, Joe. so I, again, I chat about that in the book, and I, I talk about that a lot, just press it, when you're in a PowerPoint presentation, just press in B, yeah. B's my favourite yeah. button, because as soon as you say, listen to me, and there's text visible, yeah. half, the kids, at half the kids are yeah. looking at text, yeah, good, good So luck, it, was, good it was just nice to see him do that. Um, there were, um, uh, something else, so Apart from all the lovely history of maths that he talked about, which was um, engaging, there were people in the room who were who were contributing um, their stories or things nice. they knew. It was it was a really Sounds lovely great. session. It was really good. Um, and then what was also interesting is that he um, Chris wasn't um, talking about his the, the project he's working on, which is Uplearn, um, but he um, he did. He, I asked him about it at the end. Um, he has been working on this project where he's created all this mm. content for A-level mm. and students will be able to buy a login and yes. go and learn and, and, it, sh and it, it just, I bet it's going to be brilliant. I I've seen some of it. Have it's you? unbelievable. See, this is the thing, I'm desperate to see some of Joe, it. Joe, it is amazing. It right, is so, amazing. Because we, we have Hegarty Maths for GCSE yep. and we have nothing for A-level and, and this, so this is, gonna, this is really exciting and I know it's all launching soon and I can't wait to see it because you just know that anything that Chris is involved in will be high quality. Correct. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. That's great. Great. That's it. And um, well, it was interesting. So session three, I also wanted to see Gemma Sherwood. But exactly as you say, there was a definite theme going through those those first three sessions, and in mind to a lesser extent. And it, it's interesting, Joe, as you say, 
the the way Mark the way Mark decides who goes in that main room is it's almost like uh, it's a popularity contest in terms of how delegates choose to sign up for what sessions and it is very interesting that wouldn't have happened a few years ago mm-hmm. you wouldn't have That's got it. three essentially direct or explicit instruction mm-hmm. research based uh, approaches so that was very interesting so I wanted to do something a bit different and Mark said to me in the pub last night uh, you've got to go and see Bernie Westacott now Joe, have you heard of Bernie Westacott? <laughs> I know a lot of people in mass education, yeah. but I've not heard of right. them. Right, no. neither had I, neither <laughs> I. So I was like, all right, give me a bit of background. So Mark McCourt said, he's probably the cleverest person I know. Wow. So I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Right, okay. And also he said, you're going to find him interesting. So I, I went in to see him, and it was on multiple representations. So I'm going to put a confession out straight away, and I, I want you to comment on this, Joe Morgan. I don't use manipulatives in my lessons. Do you, Joe? <laughs> Uh, no, you're, now you're going to make me look bad. Um, no, well, I don't, because sure. it's not practical. It's hard to do. I've got 34 kids in right, the class. Right, right, right. Exactly. So I'm the same. I'm the same. We've probably got some, I can't even say it, Cuisinaire Rod. Am I saying that right? Um, I think so. I'm right. not sure. Um, I, ha- I have issues with them because my husband is colourblind, and oh. at primary school, he his teacher used to berate him because he couldn't tell the difference between the red and the green, right. um, and put him off mass for life. So I think anyone using those needs to just be mindful of the colourblind kids. Interesting point. Interesting point. So I, I don't use them, um, but this, this session was all about multiple representations. I'll tell you what, it was flipping fascinating. So this is, is, it's left me with more questions than answers, and my, one of my aims is to get Bernie on, on the show, because, yeah, I've got questions coming out of my ears here, so I'm just going to pitch this to you, Joe, see what you think about this. So first off, we were shown a video of four-year-olds solving simultaneous equations. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the opening gambit, that's the opening gambit. And Bernie's point was, we underestimate what kids can do, and there were, it was just repeatedly, we were shown kids solving these amazing equations, and the technique for solving them was was always similar. It was, it, for these young kids, it was hiding things. So it was a wonderful video of things hidden in cups. There was a certain amount of counters hidden in these cups, and they were set up to be simultaneous equations. And by balancing and taking things away in a very uh, physical, visual, uh, non-abstract way, the kids were able to say, I know there are three balls in that cup. And it was brilliant because he just tipped them out and the kids were like, yeah, I knew that. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Um, so the hiding games, this, this way of teaching by hiding for algebra was fascinating. And then it was really interesting because then we started getting equations like, uh, let me, I've got, I've got one here, 3x plus y equals 22, 3x plus 3y equals 30. So simultaneous equations. And it was right, okay, solve them uh, procedurally. So I'm straight off into my, oh, I'm good at these, same, 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 <laughs> subtract, having a great time. Whole room's doing it, silent as anything. And then he said, okay, right, now solve it using pictures. Mm-hmm. And he gives a little example. So in the end, I think we had something like three leaves plus uh, one flower equals 22. Three leaves plus three flowers equals 30. And he said, what's really interesting, you notice this in the room, as soon as pictures come into play, people start talking. People start having these mathematical conversations. How have you structured it? What do you know from that? Whereas when people are just going through the procedure, mm-hmm. the room was silent. Yeah. And that was really interesting for me. And I think about I think about my kids. When they're going through a procedure, algebraically or just a routine following an algorithm, there's no need for them to talk. But rich discussions were happening whenever we were forced to think pictorially or visually or something like that. I thought that was really, really, really interesting. But I've got a load of questions here. So one question I've got, and I hope he's listening to this, or I hope Mark McCourt's listening, and um, you can kind of hook me up with Bernie here. Because, right, imagine, so these were four and five-year-old kids who were solving these simultaneous equations. They were having a great time. 
One question I have is, I'd be interested how this technique works when you've got subtraction. So I didn't see any of that. It was very good when you, you're adding things uh, to equations with plus signs. I don't know about subtraction. Mm -hmm. But then, <laughs> firstly, what if they're doing that by age five or six, what are they doing for the next nine years, nine, ten years? But then am I saying we should purposely hold kids back? I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying with that. I'm just chucking that into the mm -hmm. mix. But then... Listeners to my podcast, if you've listened to the Chris Bolton part one interview, he describes a 13-part process for teaching kids to solve simultaneous yeah. equations. Making a decision, firstly, are they solvable? Mm -hmm. Then do you add or subtract? Then what does it become? Do you do the X's otherwise, blah, blah. I'm convinced that's a really, really, really good method. I've done it with my year 11s of getting kids good at solving simultaneous equations. When, when if ever, does Bernie's visual pictorial method when does that tip over into this? When do we move the kids away from the, the, the uh, using the manipulatives mm -hmm. into the abstract? Do we, do we ever do it? And will that be a big shock for the kids? Is there a natural transition from the pictorial to the abstract? And if so, when does it happen? How, and do well, kids I, ever go backwards? I guess it happens before I start teaching them in year 11 because that's why, you know, I, so I'm on the abstract stage of their journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas my six-year-old daughter at home with her, I'm doing all the new McCon and all that. Yes. And it's all very, um, where it has to be. She doesn't get anything in an abstract way. She struggles with anything right. where I don't have something yes. physical there. And she's not really even yet on the drawing stage. She is very much on the, uh, it has to be concrete. Um, but I think, I mean, I think this relates to the bar modelling, where you've got, um, you know, people saying, so the, the bar modelling being, let's solve a ratio problem in a pictorial way, yeah. and works really, really well for yeah. lots of problems, yeah. and then when those problems get quite complex, yes. I know there are people that say bar modelling still works. Yes. I don't agree. I think it works if you're a bar modeling expert, okay. but otherwise, if, if you, um, otherwise it's really hard to set the problems up, and there I'm much happier with a more abstract algebraic Yeah, approach. it's interesting, isn't um, it? So I think it's, it's must, it, I, I don't, um, it might, is it about the complexity of the problems, or is it about the fact that you can use, you can use um, the abstract approaches and the pictorial approaches on any complexity of problem and it's just that we for efficiency of time we yes. want to transition the students and it's interesting it. you, you were mentioning before you reminded me that i think and correct me if i'm wrong here joe it was in was it in naveen's session where it was talking about don't teach them something that's going to be contradicted yes. later on right yeah. it's a similar thing with this right if if this method works for all simultaneous equations, yeah. fine. But if at some point I'm going to have to completely change it and say, if it looks like this, you're going to have to, if it has a subtraction in it, mm -hmm. or if it has a, an X squared term in it, yeah. you're going to have to use a different method, then I don't think I want that. I want something right. that's going to work for everything, but I don't know enough about it. But that's it. really interesting on simultaneous equations because we teach the elimination method, yeah. and then we say, oh, by the way, you can also do it by substitution. And when we get to quadratic ones, yeah. oh, by the way, you have to do it by yeah, substitution. So that is, a, I guess that's another example it of Naveen. Is. So from Naveen's perspective, she's saying we should never teach that elimination method because that falls apart later. Whereas there are some some things where it's just um, it's more efficient to use the elimination yeah. method. This is tricky, isn't it? But then you still get students who try and use the elimination method on quadratic course, ones and course. it all falls apart. You know, they'll try and square a whole expression yes. just to get it all wrong. 
Well, so that was that was my experience with Bernie. I found it absolutely fascinating. My mind is spinning. I've got a three and a half hour drive home, and I'm going to be thinking about these. Uh, this there was some great tour. feedback from that session. So I think if he's a new mass conference speaker, I hope he comes back again. I hope he does too. Yeah, yeah. I think he's doing. The, I think he's working for for OUP or something. So okay. I, I, th- I think yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try really hard to get him on the podcast because I think I could learn loads from him. So that was great. And then you drew the short straw, Joe, because you were contractually <laughs> obliged to come and watch me in the last session. So what was I banging on about? Right, so um, talking about your new book, which I love and I, um, I have read and I've got a lot from. Um, and, and the thing is, it's interesting reading your book because um, you, you used to be a very different teacher to what the sort of teacher I've always been. So I... I um, you know, the sort of activities you used to do with your students, I've never done stuff like that. Yep. So when I start reading it, I think, well, you know, Craig has figured out how to be a teacher like <laughs> yeah. me, and that's all right, so I'm going to turn it. But then I actually read it and think, I don't do any of this, well, I'm useless, like, I, don't, I don't do this stuff. Like, I get, I sort of, um, I, get, I, I get a lot wrong, or, or I, I get, I don't, I haven't tried a lot of the things you talk about in the book. And so I'm thinking, how am I going to adapt my teaching? And it was really good today that in your session you did all this, um, you gave us such good examples to, to bring those things to life in the book. Um, so you showed us, for example, the um, way you do the example prayer problems and you do the silent bit, mm. and that's fascinating. So you, you went through the prime factorization where you had the animated slide with the steps and you didn't talk as you went through those steps. Um, one question I had there was, um, would it always be, would you, because that takes some time to do those animations. Yeah, so I would. So do you write that? I'd write it. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. Because um, I, I don't want sort of people all over the country going and making all these no, animated God, slides God, and not realising no, that they no, can no, write that yeah, on the board. Yeah, that was yeah. just for demonstration. And it was lovely that you said about how um, this is really good for EAL students. Mm. So students where English isn't their first language are loving the fact that you're, you, you don't need words to yeah. understand the process. I'll tell you where that came from, Joe. So that was a teacher who I was do, doing a training session to. This was as I was writing the book and I, I was talking about, I was just developing this silent teacher thing. And she said to me, she trialled it, and one of her EAL kids said to her that the hardest thing she finds, and that I thought this was fascinating, she finds it hard enough trying to understand what the teacher's saying, but mm-hmm. she's just about all right with that. But as soon as there's a discussion between, te- te- right. as soon as the teacher asks a question to a student, and yeah. says, what do you think? So all the good questioning techniques, right, you said that, what do you think about that? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Bouncing it around the room. Yeah. These kids, they couldn't keep up with it because it's different accents, different speeds, colloquialisms, all this. And they just said maths was just so confusing. But now that silence, it's kind of a level level playing field for everybody. Everybody benefits from it. But I think these EAL EAL kids more than anyone. I think it's something that's probably the sort of thing I'd want to introduce for a brand new class in September. So I'd start the year off saying, this is how maths is going to work. I'm going to do a silent example. It's probably, you know, with a couple months before GCSEs, can't imagine my year 11s. So it's something I'd like to try in the future and and I certainly it was just nice to see it in action today it was lovely that you actually did a silent example so we everyone could see exactly how it works and then you talked about how to make those example pair problems how to make the the the, the your turn problem so the one the students do how to link it yes. and, and that was all it was just it was really clear um, you talked about how once they've done their example so after you do the silent example they do um, they do a very similar example yeah. And then you do the show call thing. Yeah. Um, so that's where you go and get their book or their mini whiteboard and you show it on the visualizer yes. um, and it's got all the lovely workings and it's all set out properly. 
Um, um, I don't know if you presume, but maybe you show ones of misconceptions in as well. Yeah, interesting ones I'll show. Yeah, yeah, interesting yeah, yeah, ones. Yeah. Um, and really interesting that my school has now, um, all our USB ports are disabled in our computers. Oh, no. Uh, which means that if someone comes in for an interview, they can't plug in their USB stick. It's oh. ridiculous. Which means that we haven't got visualizers. So it's lovely that you shared um, alternatives. Yes. So you shared the Google Drive thing where you take a picture on your phone, it goes straight to Google Drive, which yes. is open your computer. And the thing called, was it Riot? Yes, Riot. Yeah, yeah Riot. So, that's right. and, and that's again something that I really need to start doing because I've always been very um, uh, keen on showing students work um, as for modelling good practice but normally I've done it where they've done a good homework I take a yes, picture of the yes. homework and I put it on the board next lesson and this is lovely real time it's real time yeah, absolutely really, really and you have the bank you have a, a resource for life then you've yes. got a bank of interesting examples yeah. that kids have done yeah, yeah really love that um, it was um, you talked about um, variation theory and um, talked about uh, something that might be coming up with that, which I'm excited about, some sort of resources, because yeah. obviously Naveen's blog on the resources um, that she made, I think it's it's a real, a very uh, specific skill building these resources. Yeah, the flipping art, and I'm not yeah. brilliant at it, but yeah, yeah those connected, it's what Anne Watson talk, and John Mason mm. talk about, about seeing an, a series of questions as a single entity as opposed to eight separate questions yes. building up structurally carefully building up a concept yeah I'm obsessed by this and I absolutely love the two the, uh, the, the sequence of questions you gave us so you talked about uh, um, the linking of a series of questions and you gave us the prime factor yeah. examples where we had to do the prime factorization um, so for example if we did a prime factorization of 10 2 times 5 and then you said do the prime factorization of 20 and, we, and if we just appreciated that it was double the last one, so two times two times five, and then you had that lovely series of questions where everything, each question linked to the one before. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it took such a, it took a real level of understanding, and it, it's, so it's so much deeper than, than, a lot of, than any task I've ever used on prime factorization. So I thought that was fantastic. You were talking about the expectation, so students yeah. sort of thinking, what, what do I expect this to be? Yeah, and then checking through the check. procedure. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you gave us a lovely sequence of questions on um, ratio, which were absolutely fantastic. Like, I think every maths teacher needs to sit down and do that sequence of questions. Oh. Like, it, it, just, <laughs> it really made me think, and, and it was just so interesting where you're saying, I can't remember, say split 20 pounds into the ratio 2 to 3, then split 20 pounds into ratio 3 to 2, and split 20 pounds into ratio 4 to 6, which is the same. Or yeah. it was, yeah, that's around, exactly. It was the same. Exactly. And then it was split 40 pounds into the ratio 2 to 3, which was obviously double yeah. the amount. Yeah. And, and just thinking about those links and then by the end you were on to questions where you really wouldn't be able to do them without seeing the link to the question before yes um it was really clever stuff um really got me thinking i mean i'm i'm not a resource maker and i'm never i can't imagine i'm going to be sitting down making these resources um so that's why it's lovely that people with expertise will at some point be making these sets of questions that then i can use because <laughs> we shouldn't all be making our own sets yeah. of questions if someone's making a really good set yeah of questions. you're doing enough joe huh? i'll <laughs> and i'll if people found this useful i'll put that sequence of ratio questions oh, in the show true. notes for the yeah. podcast i think everyone should have a go at those um and then absolutely fantastic i had no idea idea you had two new websites <laughs> um, and this is exciting so the Venn task you gave us on rounding yeah. ah it was hard, hard and it was right? interesting and I, I loved it so this was um, filling in areas on a Venn diagram um, a rich task but 
really engaging, um, good for a student who's weak on rounding, good for a student who is incredibly strong on rounding, which is perfect. And it's absolutely brilliant that you've put all your Venn activities onto mathsvens.com. <laughs> Catchy. Mathsvens.com. And I think that is, because um, I've seen some of your Venn tasks before um, on TEDS, and it's lovely to have them all in one place, but actually having a go at one, was that's, that's such a game changer when you go to a conference? You know, I've seen your VIN activities so many times before, yeah. I've never sat down and tried one yeah, myself, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it really does change your perspective and it makes you realize where the beautiful bits of tasks are when you actually sit down and do them. So that was good. And then your second website, the ssddproblems.com, where in a way you're kind of launching a new sort of uh, like the project you did with diagnostic questions where people submitted their own diagnostic questions and you put them on your site and you ended up with. How many? I could not believe it when you said yeah. that. That is a huge number, Incredible. and I use them all the time in my weekly quizzes. I, I love the diagnostic questions, um, and you're, you're going to end up with an enormous collection of these same structure, different. What's the other? Deep. Deep. Yeah. Again, catching, <laughs> catching. Um, but I absolutely, um, I think that it's a great idea. So the idea being that. You teach someone Pythagoras, don't then give them a load of questions on Pythagoras because it's obviously going to be a Pythagoras problem. Instead, you give them a load of triangle problems and there'll be some one or two in there that need Pythagoras. And the idea there is that students have to figure out um, what what uh, what concept to apply, what skill to use. Exactly, um, what the deep structure yes. is, exactly. Um, and so it's it's wonderful that, again, uh, we're not, we haven't now got teachers thinking, oh, I need to start doing that, I need to sit down and spend all my time writing resources because you have started off with a whole load of them that they can use and that collection is clearly going to grow very quickly. I hope so, yeah. There's there's 80 on there that have been created by teachers. I think 56 different teachers have created them. Amazing. And if, pe- if people are listening to this... If you, if you find them useful, try them out with your kids. And if you find them useful, all I want as thanks is for you to send me a, a single slide with four of these questions on. And then before you know it, we'll have 100, 200, 300 of these. You can use them with year sevens. We're using them two or three times a week with our year elevens. It's brilliant for revision because you're covering four topics for the price of one. And they're thinking so hard mm. about which of those topics are. It's far better than a random problem-solving lesson or going through a past paper. In, and in and I, I think that my revision lessons that I do in my year 11s where I do a Corbett Maths uh, yep. four or five-day starter, then I focus on a topic. So I'm, I'm doing a whole lesson where I remind them about the topic and then we do topic-specific questions. I think I'm going to mix it up a bit this year and do occasional lessons where I'm using those um, yes. SSDD problems yes. because I think that's... It's going to do, it's, it's, that's, you know, it's identifying the topic is part of the challenge of the Absolutely exam. Absolutely right. Yeah, Absolutely. so I will definitely be using them. So it's a fantastic session. <laughs> I got a lot out of it and particularly liked that you, you, I, I it was like I, I'd already read the book, but seeing it in action um, really helped clarify how these things work in practice. Oh, that's so, great. It's very, very kind. I mean, as I say, Joe is contractually obliged to be nice in that <laughs> session, but that's, uh, that's very, very kind. Well, there we go. So that is uh, mine and Joe's uh, conference takeaway. I hope that's useful if you haven't been to the conference, and I hope it, you'll find it interesting if you've been but perhaps couldn't go to those sessions, or you've been to the same sessions as me and Joe and you just were interested in our take from it. If you found this useful, uh, give us a little shout-out um, on Twitter, and you know Maths Gem, and um, you know you know me, and I'll put links to that in the, in the show notes. But if this goes down well, we want to make this a regular thing, because me and Joe are quite often at the same conferences. We're going to one, I'm calling it BCME, <laughs> Joe's calling it, last night she's calling it Book Me, today you call it I'm Bick Me. I'm calling it Bick Me today, Bick me. although um, Andrew um, earlier called it Beck Me, so Beck we me. have four different versions of this. Four, four different versions, one conference, so we're going there, it's a f- 
maybe it's three or four nights, something like that. And we're going to try and do one show a night, our takeaways from Bet Me, Bick Me, Book Me, whatever it's called, uh, with interviews with special guests and so on. Um, so hopefully, if people find this useful and want us to keep uh, keep going, just let us know. But, Joe, just a massive thank you, because it's the end of a tiring day. Um, I know you've got to get home and you've given up your time to, to talk to us. Here. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And I'll be back with another Mr. Martin podcast sometime in the near future. Take care and bye for now.